Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Oh man, give it up for Pastor Scott. What a great word and challenge. What a stiff drink this Sunday morning on our offering, and uh, I am here for that. Come on, somebody. That pastor just talked about stiff drinks? Yes, of the Word of God. Come on. Get you some new wine this morning. Anyways, I'm going to stop with the dad jokes and pastor jokes and embarrassing myself. Um, but yes, this morning we are kicking off a brand new series. But before we do that, I just want to take a minute to celebrate the two people in the room who aren't just kicking off a new series with us, but kicking off a brand new season of marriage. And that is my good friends Cole and Maya Birch. Come on. I, uh, Adrian, I had the honor and privilege of, of walking that season out with them and doing the, the ceremony and getting to do the whole uh, kit and caboodle. And honestly, we love you guys. We love you so much and we believe in you. If, if we didn't, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have agreed to marry you. We wouldn't have agreed to ask the hard questions and have the, the dinners and the conversations and do all the work. And like, man, we are so proud of you and we believe in you. And in this next season, Maya, Cole, God is going to use you to ignite some people up in Hawaii. I mean, that's a tough mission field to be called to. You know what I'm saying? Um, but honestly... Hawaii is going to be better because the two of you are there. The kingdom of God there, the bride of Christ in Hawaii is going to be better because they got some wildfires coming to light it up for the cause of Christ. So, hey, we love you. Can we just give it up for them? I want to honor them one time. That's what we do here. We love you, heart and soul, heart and soul. And uh, Kyle, if you need a, you know, late night hangout, place to stay, just holler, bro. I got you. We'll hang out. We'll hang out. Um, but yes, this morning, we are, we are, we are, we are kicking off a brand new series called The Citizens of Heaven. The Citizens of Heaven. And before we move any further, can we just give God some praise all across this place right now? Come on, is he not worthy? Can we make some noise for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? I mean, I am just, oh, I'm so acutely aware of my shortcomings as a man and as a person and and when I'm aware of those moments, when I fail, when I slip up, when I lean in a little bit too much to one of our staff members before service, sorry, Evan, uh, I, I realize that I am a, I'm reminded again, I am a work in progress by sanctification of Lord Jesus. And I got to tell you, I'm okay with those reminders because man, I am so grateful for a savior like Jesus who doesn't leave us how he found us, but he picks us up and he takes us with him. Amen. Come on. Well, gosh, I'm pumped. This morning, we did. We wrapped, up the, uh, we wrapped up the Jesus People series last week. Twelve weeks went all summer long as the Jesus People. Was anybody else, else grateful for that series? Because I was. I was challenged and blessed and just equipped for the days and, and years ahead. Well, this morning, we're going to kind of continue on the same track because I reckon if you're sitting here going, Hey, Pastor Matt, what is the difference between the Jesus people and the citizens of heaven? Absolutely nothing. It just happens to be the fact that we are going into fall, and I was kind of over orange and yellow. No, I'm kidding. We, there is a purpose behind it. You will begin to see that as we go throughout the weeks ahead. But, but truly, man, I am just excited to see what the Lord continues to grow and, 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 and sow into us as a people here at Takeover Church, as the Jesus people. But what we begin to transition into and look like when we truly, truly, truly take up God when he says, I've given you citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. And we explore all that that means. Sound good? Well, you know me and I want to make sure you and I are on the same page weekly. You know what I mean? So how many of you know we got a creed? We do. It's called the Citizens' Creed. Do I got any citizens in the house? Come on, somebody. Y'all are citizens. All right. Well, we are going to repeat after me. We're going to get ourselves. We're going to tune ourselves. We're going to play the same song, get in harmony with each other. And we're going to go after the Lord this morning. Sound good? Fantastic. The Citizens' Creed. We the citizens of heaven. Now say that like you believe it. We the citizens of heaven. Come on. There we go. Hereby swear. Hereby swear. 
to be your bride. We swear we will represent your kingdom well in this land. We will keep in step with your spirit. We will keep your word. We will keep your heart. We will steward your power and your presence. Sanctify us. Make us like Jesus. That one was a holdover from the last one. Consecrate us. Make us a holy nation where your spirit rests upon us and where you dwell among us. Where your gifts and your fruit are valued. We will be. You will be. We will be. Your people. And you will be our God. We declare, we declare, we declare, your kingdom come, your will be done in our region as it is in heaven. We swear to give our lives for revival. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? We made a whole lot of vows together this morning. We will give our lives for revival. There is no greater prize. Amen? Amen? Fantastic. Well, if you're taking notes, the title of my message this morning, are you ready for the Word of God? Yeah. The title of my message this morning is Anointed Armored Ambassadors. Anointed Armored Ambassadors. I have a deal with State Farm, so I'm not allowed to mention AAA, but you better get your AAA protection this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We got a few state farmies, uh, a part of church, and we love you. AAA is pretty cool, though. Anointed armored ambassadors. We are coming out of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the Sky Bible, but if you've got a leather back or you got a digital Bible, how about you crack that open or slide it open and we get there. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. 10 verses this morning, all right with you? Fantastic. Here we go. Verse 10. Finally. Somebody say, finally. Finally. Come on. You got to do your best, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Finally. There we go. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Somebody say the devil's a schemer. Devil's a schemer. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Somebody say the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Who remembers that word? Supplication with all prayer and begging. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making begging, beggarly pleas in Christ, supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, we're going to pray and we're going to tear that open. Sound good? Fantastic. Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. Father God, we just thank you so much. We acknowledge you, God. We acknowledge you, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator, Author and Finisher, Alpha and Omega. God, we recognize you today and we say you are worthy of all glory, of all honor, of all power and praise. Father, you and you alone are worthy today, God. 
So we give that all to you. We do, God, we give it all to you. We recognize even as we go on this endeavor of establishing what it looks like to truly live as a citizen of heaven in the region of which you've placed us, God, today, we say, refine us, King. Refine us, King. Shape us, King. Mold us, King. Change us, King. Challenge us, King. You alone have the authority to do such things. So come. Have your way in this place. And Holy Spirit, show us. Show us what it looks like to live as citizens of heaven in the nation and region of which you've placed us and called us to. In Jesus' mighty name of faith-filled church said, amen. Anointed, armored ambassadors. Anointed, armored ambassadors. Man, I really loved the Jesus people series. And yes, 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 yes. There's clearly, there's clearly an evolution that's taking place. There's clearly a growth that's happening. There's clearly a little bit of, a little bit of maturity, I hope, that is coming into this. Now that we've taken 12 weeks to kind of firmly establish the Jesus people. And obviously, God is massive. We are small. We do not have him figured out. We do not have him all the way, uh, you know, bullet pointed out and, and, and put in a nice comfy box. He has told us enough about himself to have us in a relationship with him, understand that he is a good father and a great savior, and he is still mighty to save, amen. And yet he's left us with enough mystery of him to say, come on, follow me, learn me, grow in me. And I hope that this is a season where we continue to chase after and grow in him. Amen. But I, I got to tell you, right now we are in a time and place in the world where I, I don't know what it is, but have you noticed that Jesus isn't really the most serious taken guy? Have you noticed that the church isn't really the most trusted voice in this hour? Have you noticed that we live in a world and a time and place where it is in fact dark out, crazy out, and a lot of things going on that are detrimental to humanity? And for some reason, the Jesus people, the Jesus people are a bit of a joke. The bride isn't really taken serious. The, the church isn't really looked at in favor and we live in a time and place where we're trying to be relevant to a nation we're called to instead of reverent of the nation we're actually from. We're believing the lie of needing to be relevant to the world. And in believing that lie, we become irreverent to the kingdom of God. We have no reverence for him, reverence for the kingdom, reverence for our role. And because we have no reverence, we are then left ill-equipped, uninspired, and apathetic to the days in which we live and the call that God has placed on our lives. Am I saying facts or am I saying facts? You see, one of the reasons I think, one of the reasons I think the world is looking at us going, who are you jokers with your sky daddy? What are you doing? You oppressive, white, colonial, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, all the rubbish you read in the Times and you read on the Twitter and miss me with it. The church is still God's plan, Amen. The church is still his bride, amen? amen? And we're gonna establish today what that looks like because I am tired, I am tired of the church and the bride of Christ not being taken serious in our world, but I gotta tell you, I think it's probably because we haven't taken ourselves seriously. I think it's because we haven't taken ourselves seriously. I think there's a point in this life with Jesus where he became a religion, where he became a practice, where he became an option, where he became something that looked good, where he became something I raised my family in, where he became this thing and this obligation and this place and this, all of this, he became something I do. Instead of someone I'm one with, instead of someone I'm married to, it's someone I've been rescued by, I've been raptured by, I've been completely taken over by. He became this option.
That's not who he is. That's not who he is. You see, we will handicap Jesus in our lives if we make him out to be anything other than he is. Make no mistake about it. He's not an option. He's a Lord. He's not an option. He's king. He's not an obligation. He's author and finisher. He's not an obligation. He is the life and life to the full. He is the bread of life. He is the lamb that was slain. He was the only one that could bring us back into right relationship with God. He is everything. And if you ask me, that sounds pretty serious. And I wonder, I wonder if the reason the world doesn't take the church's voice serious is because the church hasn't been speaking very serious. It's all real. It's all real. There's a God. There's a devil. There are angels. There are demons. There is the natural and seen world, and then there is the supernatural and the unseen world. The Bible goes as far as to place it and say, all that is seen was actually just revealed. There is sin. There is brokenness. There is fallenness. And there is a savior and his name is Jesus and he died and he defeated hell and he sucker punched the devil in the face. Come on somebody. He rose again on the third day bringing the keys back to eternity with him. And from that place of ascension, he sent us his spirit that empowered him on this earth to live a sinless, blameless life, being but fully man and fully God. Come on, somebody. And then it says he came at Pentecost and he rested upon us. And that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. That is serious. That is the truth. And we have been found making this thing about everything else but I am in Michigan for heaven's mission for Michigan but I am not of Michigan you are not of Michigan we are in this region for heaven's mission for this region but we are not of this region you see, I am disturbed right now. I am disturbed. Some of you are new to this morning. You're going, yes, you seem disturbed. That's just because I really believe the Bible, okay? I really think that I have an actual relationship with an unseen God, okay? I believe it. I'm that guy. Welcome to Takeover Church. I believe it with every fiber of my being, and I'm disturbed by the words of Jesus. Jesus gets arrested for the first time. Jesus was arrested? Well, yeah, how do you think he got murdered? Jesus was arrested for the first time and they bring him before King Herod and Herod goes, I am hearing you are a disturbance. I am hearing you are an issue for me. I am hearing that you are coming and you are messing things up. What is going on? People are telling me you're a king. You're a king, Jesus. What kind of, what kind of king are you? What is going on here? Tell me about your little kingdom, homeless-looking Jesus. Jesus is like, my kingdom? It's not even of this world. It's not of this world. The first trial Jesus was ever on, he was drugged in there, a place before him, and they called him a king. And Jesus, even in his own words, go, that's what you say about me. That's what they say about me. They tell me, you tell me, everyone's saying I'm a king, but I'm telling you, my kingdom, not even of this world. And I am disturbed by those words because of this reason and this reason alone. If the kingdom of God is not of this word, world, then categorically the citizens of the kingdom of heaven cannot be a part of this world. Categorically. Categorically, it's not 
impossible. They couldn't be more distinct. They could not be more different. We should have nothing in common with this place. And I think the reason we don't get taken serious is because we've been found to have more in common with the world of which we are called to and placed in rather than the kingdom of which we've been commissioned and sent out of. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, and yet his bride is being found looking an awful lot like this world. Do I look more like the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5, dripped and dazzling in white, being made pure? Or do I look more like King Ahab's bride, Jezebel? Which bride... Which bride are we? I know this is heavy. I get it. But man, we, we're interested in life change. And we're interested in taking ground. And we're interested in kicking the devil in the teeth. And we're interested in advancing the kingdom of heaven here in Grand Rapids and beyond. Amen? So if it's heavy, know that it's not a rebuke out of anger or intimidation. It is heavy out of, it is urgent times. These are dark days. And right now, we need more than anything to recognize that we are citizens of heaven and not of Michigan. That we are citizens of heaven and not of America. We are citizens of heaven and not of this world. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You see here, because man, with Paul, he goes on later to call himself an ambassador. And we see this all throughout Paul's letters. Every Pauline epistle, every letter Paul wrote, there is a moment where he calls us ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And friends, I got to tell you, I love America and I love Michigan and I love this. I love that we are here and that we're called here and we've been sent here by God and we are on mission here. I love it but we are not of here. We are not of here. And I think one of the things that we start to mistake is what it looks like to be an ambassador because an ambassador is someone who's sent on expedition to a foreign land. An ambassador is someone who has been placed on a mission in the work field. Someone who, for us, we are the living dead co-laboring with the living dead Jesus and living among the actual dead, believing, working, giving, crying, begging, and worshiping for what? Resuscitation, resurrection, and revival of the nation of which we've been called to. Amen? That's what we're here for. Problem is, man, the world of which we do not belong somehow got the embassy of which is not a part of their country to close down for two years. The embassy called the church, we got diplomatic immunity. We don't play the same games you play and we don't follow the same rules the world has. We don't, we can't. This is life and death, the real life and death past this eternity we don't close the doors of the embassy the embassy is where the ambassadors gather it's where we get equipped it's where we go to work and it's where we are sent out from and it is where the people of the nation of which the embassy is existing in and put up in knows i can go there for refuge i can go there for refuge Amazing how we all want to sit here and go, what's the church going to do about refugees? And we're going, the church should always be about refugees because we are an embassy in a foreign land of which we are not a part of. We should always be about that. This is where the lost should know they can always come and take a citizenship class because there are some ambassadors out there. I wonder... I wonder today, can I challenge you? Can I ask you a question? Do the people in your life, if an ambassador is a representative in the land of which you are called to, do the people in your life, your friends, your family, your colleagues, your coworkers, strangers, young or old in this place, do they know that you are a representative, that you are an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven? Scratch that. Holy Spirit says dig deeper. We're going to dig deeper. 
<laughs> not only is the question, do they think that you are? Because a lot of people can think that you are because you might be telling them. But do the people in your life actually believe that you are an ambassador of heaven? Do they actually believe that you are an ambassador of heaven? Does your life, does your words, does your love, does your time, does your giving, does your, how you live, does it speak to the people around you who may be unbelievers and they're like, you know what, I don't believe in their God, but it is hard to argue because I am telling you they are the closest thing to heaven I've ever experienced. They are ambassadors of heaven. That Jesus they talk about, man, they seem an awful lot like him. I wonder, do they think because you told them you're ambassadors or do they know because you've shown them that you are ambassadors? You see, friends, one of the other reasons I think that the world doesn't take the bride serious is because I think the bride has a little bit of confusion happening within herself. Can I just inform you today? <laughs> Can I inform you today? Jesus isn't coming back for a weak bride. Jesus isn't coming back for a weak bride. The bride of Christ is not some damsel in distress that Jesus is coming back to rescue. No, the bride of Christ is not some damsel in distress in desperate need of Prince Jesus coming and rescuing her. We are already the rescued. The bride of Christ is comprised upon people who do not exist captive in a tower surrounded by dragons, but instead is built up of a bride in a beautiful white dress looking like Maya slaying dragons. We aren't damsels, we're slayers. We are surrounded by dragons, we're taking their heads. We have been commissioned to do the rescuing. Where is the bride that says, I'm a dragon slayer? I'm not some weak, insignificant, futile, fragile, broken woman. I am, a, I am the bride of Christ. The Messiah. Where is the bride that believes that about herself? The problem is, we hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, and he goes, well, it's when you're weak that you are also strong. And we, we totally mistake that entire passage. We go, because we're human, and we go, yeah, I identify with that. I identify with that. Problem is we identify more with the weakness that we uh, come from rather than the strength of which he's declaring. We are far more familiar, so therefore we identify with the weakness of which we've always been associated with rather than this new nature that Paul is declaring to us. No, no, you're strong. You might have, you are so strong, in fact, bride of Christ, you are so strong that you might have moments of weakness, but you are so strong in Christ already that you're still strong. You might have moments where you feel like you're weak, but make no mistake about it, you're still strong. Right. Problem is, we're too busy caught up in our feelings, identifying with our weakness, instead of walking in the truth of the strength of Christ that's been given to us, amen? Wow. No, 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 when I am weak, then I am strong. It's because you are strong all of the time. It's whether you just choose to identify and walk in it or not. Sorry, Jesus did not. He saved a weak people and now we are put on mission to go out and rescue other weak people. It's the unbelievers that are weak. It's the unsaved that need to be saved. And it's the lost that still need to be found. You and I have been found. We have been saved. We are made strong. And we are the beautiful bride of Christ. Amen. It's about time the world recognized we are not some weak, insignificant people but we are strong and we can withstand and we will stand up and we will withhold and we will march forward in the cause of Christ to see the lost come home, to see the kingdom of heaven advance here and now. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Is this good news? 
But I just think we're under the illusion that we're weak and we're always going to remain weak. And this is why so many of us, honestly, this exactly is why so many of us, we still struggle with the same sins we got saved out of. We still wrestle with the same struggles that we had. We still have the same thoughts about ourselves and about people that we came into the kingdom with. We're sitting here going, the only thing about our citizenship is our new passport. We are still feeling and looking and acting the same way. And it's because we have decided that we keep hearing, when you're weak, then you are stronger. We're like, I am so weak. And Jesus is like, no, am I weak? No. Who, who here thinks Jesus is weak? Defeated hell, sin, death, and the grave. Shoot. Rescued you out of everything you've been in. Sure as heck rescued Matt out of everything he's been in. Is Jesus weak? No. And Jesus says, no longer you that lives, but me that lives through you. Who are you calling weak? Who are you calling weak? In the event of you have a moment of weakness, Jesus' anointing over your life is so strong. It is so smeared. It is so covering of you. It is the chain mill beneath the armor of God that he gives you. The anointing is the covering, the chain mill underneath, binding together the armor of which he gave you. So many of us, we don't even know what these words mean. When we came to know Jesus, Christ anointed you. What does anointing mean? It means he smeared himself all over you. Anointing means smeared. It means he covered you with his blood and his blood is the power and his blood speaks a better word and his blood is your calling and his blood is your purpose and his blood is your destiny and his blood, his blood is everything that you now move in. It is your new identity. It is your resurrection and your resuscitation. It is the revival of a dead man brought back to life. Amen but it's his blood that paints you back in his image. Amen. It's his blood. That is the anointing, but none of us, we simply say the prayer, we come to church, and I hope that, I think churches do a well-meaning job of this. I'm not just dragging on anyone in specific, but I think we got to slow down, and we got to take time, and we got to say, no, 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 you actually have a God-given purpose and, and a reason for living, and now it's restored back onto you. Now it can be used to the glory of God. You've been anointed for such a time as this. Christ has smeared himself across your life for this hour. Come alive, saint. Come alive, bride. Be strong, bride. Amen. I'm going to preach to anybody this morning. He has smeared you and covered you and you have been dripped in heaven's chain mill. That is your anointing. Problem is, we've got a lot of Christians trying to assimilate into a culture they're called to reach instead of be ambassadors in the world they've been sent to. You were never called to assimilate you are called to be an ambassador. If you attempt to assimilate into this culture, you will assassinate your calling. If you attempt to assimilate into this world, you will assassinate the deposit God has placed on the inside of you. If you attempt to assimilate, join in the noise and the chaos, just blend in. Friends, you will assassinate your God-given purpose in this world earth and that's not what Christ died for we are ambassadors we are ambassadors we cannot be out here trying to assimilate into the world friends you are an ambassador of Christ not an imposter of a West Michigan Christian I know I'm saying something good when Angie does this with her pen she's like Yep. Yep. It's like the rally towel. Yep. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're not an impersonator of a Michigander, of an American, of a North American. No, 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 no. You have been drenched. You have been covered. You have been chain milled in the identity of Christ. That is who you are. That is what you do. That is the mission field. This is who we are. You are a citizen of heaven. Do I have anybody that believes that this morning? Enough assimilating. 
We got too many people trying to be friends with the world and then they're surprised when they catch friendly fire because of it. So I love the Bible and I love the Apostle Paul and I love the book of Ephesians. You're probably wondering, Matt, where is this all going? What does this have to do with the scripture you just read? It's all set up. Because if you do not understand that you are the Lord's anointed and appointed, scripture will never make any sense to you. If you do not understand you were the Lord's anointed and appointed, he chose you. He came for you. He died for you. And he put you on this earth at this specific time in hope that he would come back in relationship with him and he could unleash you on your generation. Old or young, doesn't matter. God still has plans for you. Can somebody say God still has plans? God still has plans. God still has plans. His gifts and call, they are irrevocable. He still has plans. So Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. You don't know, Ephesus is modern day Turkey. Anybody know where Turkey's at? I think three of you might know where Turkey's at. That was a lot of yeah, but you know what? I know y'all didn't grow up in that generation where you had that, you know, spinning globe in the classroom, Okay. but it's in this place called Turkey and it's Ephesus. And it's funny, if you read the book of Ephesians, there's very little correction that's happening. There's very little correction. Paul is just in love with Ephesians. He's in love with the church in Ephesus because the church in Ephesus, Ephesus is like a trade community. It's a place where all the trades and the fishermen and the boats and everything would come in and China would send stuff and, and uh, uh, that side of Asia would be able to send stuff and there'd be this great trade that's happening in the church there. It was alive and it was vibrant. It was taking ground and it was seeing Jesus take over people's lives and they were taken back from the devil what he's tried to steal in Ephesus. And Paul is just like, you guys are awesome. And I love you. You're way better than those guys out in Thessalonica. Don't even get me started on Galatia. You guys are amazing. In Corinth, they'll never touch you. They are in desperate need of Jesus still. <laughs> but Ephesus, see, Ephesus he really loves. And, and for me, whenever the Lord, see, I love the armor of God. I really do. It is paramount for us here at Takeover Church. And every time the Lord directs me to preach on it, I try to preach on it once a year, a little behind the scenes. I try to, and that's because of this. Paul loves the church in Ephesus, but even a great church like the church in Ephesus was in need of a reminder of who and what they are and the armor that God's made available to them. And even though I believe we are like Ephesus, we are taking ground, we are seeing Jesus do miraculous things, we are living our lives fully submitted and, and, and sprawled out before him and saying, Lord, come and have your way. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will do and I will go. I see that we're doing this, and yet we're still in need of reminder. And to be honest, some of us, I'm your pastor. I love you. I really do. Some of us are just in need of a stiff talk from dad that says, you know what? Some people need to be reminded to suit it up, and you just need to be told to suit up. Some of us, we just need to be told hey, you know what? You've been living unarmored. You've been living disarmed. You've allowed the darkness of the hour of which we live in to create apathy in you, and that apathy has disarmed you. That apathy has called you to lay down your anointing. You've allowed your apathy to disarm your anointing, to silence your anointing. Some of us, we need that reminder we're looking at how dark the world is getting and we're like, what can we even do here? Do we even have a voice and a role in this? Is the bride even relevant? What do I do? Can I keep this quiet salvation to me? Or is this something I actually have to live out loud? I'm telling you, suit up, suit up, suit up. God didn't give you armor without a purpose for it. And God didn't give you an armor because he was unaware of the days in which you and I would find ourselves living in. Amen. Fire is going to happen. We will catch shots. Things will get crazy. And if we are not found suited up, but apathetic in our feelings, completely forfeiting our anointing, we'll become a casualty. Apathy always leads to casualty. Apathy never leads back to anointing. 
Anointing should lift should lead to lead anointing should lead to living an armored life while apathy will always lead to casualty. What's apathy? Apathetic, just lethargic to the whole thing, just disenfranchised with it, just going. I don't even see the, I don't have the conviction. I don't see the need. I don't understand why. This is useless. This is futile. It is just putting your hands up and saying, I surrender. And I feel like the church has been found not being ambassadors, but assimilators, forfeiting our anointing and taking on apathy. Some of us, we're in need of a swift kick in the butt from dad. And I just got to tell you, suit up, suit up. Your calling needs you armored. The people you're going to reach needs you armored. West Michigan needs you armored. The kingdom of heaven needs you armored. Citizens are not meant to live unarmored. Don't allow apathy to rob you of your anointing and strip you of your armor. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he starts this whole thing off and he says, put on the whole armor of God. He says, put on the whole armor of God. See, when God calls me to preach on this again, I'm going, God, what's something new? What's something I've never said? What's something you've never shown me before in this? And man, he is faithful every single time. And there is just something about this that says, put on the whole armor of God. Why that language? Because Paul was a great pastor, God is an even better one, and between the two of them, God was like, no, 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 backspace, backspace. Don't put, don't say some, don't say put on the helmet, no, 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 put on the whole armor. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, good thought. Why? Because you and I, we will only wear and put on, not what's fashionable, not what's needed. We are creatures of comfort and convenience and we will put on whatever we think is going to serve us the best, comfort us the best, help us get along in this world and through it the best. And often all of those things live in complete contradiction to what God wants to do in your life. Angie talked about this at our team rally. That's why you should serve. But Christian life isn't one of bliss and comfort. It's one that's called blessed and uncomfortable. You'll be called highly blessed, highly favored, and incredibly uncomfortable. Because you've got to put on the whole armor of God. You see, we're sneaky. We would find ourselves putting on the armor of God that helped us get along the best world of which we're called to but look enough like the nation of which we represent and ruffle as few as feathers as possible while taking just enough ground to look like we have fruit. We would. We would. Uh, take on the sword. You got a smaller one, something less intimidating, you know? Like, what if I just had a really cool knife I could show people because, like, you know, hipster stuff is cool right now and, like, I could look like I made it. You got, like, a little... Man, the feathers on that helmet are just a bit too tall, too intimidating. Does, does it have to say Jesus is Lord on my breastplate? Does it have to say righteousness? Because who... Who am I to say I'm righteous anyways? Is there, is, there, is there one that just is a little less? You see, I'm really trying to reach the progressive community. I'm really trying to reach Gen Z. I'm really trying to reach the inner city. And is there one that's just less aggressive, less upfront? Is there one that's less bleak and more colorful, if you know what I'm saying? If... Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. And why is that, Paul? Let's look at that real quick. Oh, my whole thing just got all messed up here. There it is. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of 
the devil. Make no mistakes about it. Make no mistakes about it. The devil is a schemer, but Paul just got done saying you are strong. But not only are you strong, your anointing, your anointing is enough for you to get back to heaven, but your anointing is not enough for heaven to get back to earth. Hear me today. Hear me today. Many good men and women of God, anointed men and women of God, prominent men and women of God, have chosen not to put on the whole armor of God in this season of the world. And look what happened. It wasn't COVID that killed the church. It was unarmored, anointed pastors and leaders. It wasn't COVID. It was the fact that our most anointed leaders lived their lives unarmored and they fell for the schemes of the devil. And friends, I got to tell you, armor, armor isn't just for the pastors. Armor is for the sheep. Well, Pastor Matt, what do you mean? What good is a pastor if the sheep keep dying and hell keeps advancing? What good is it? What good is it if I'm up here in my armor and I'm living my armored life Monday through Sunday, but you just keep getting shot? If you just keep taking arrows, if you just keep getting abducted, if you just keep breaking off the farm, what good is it if I'm up here lottie freaky die in my shiny armor, but the people I'm called to love and protect keep getting taken out? There is no reason for a pastor to be armored if his sheep just keep on dying. You were made for the armor. You are anointed as well. And you and I both are called to live armored lives. If we are unarmored, we will most certainly be casualties of this war. Casualties of this life. Casualties of apathy. Casualties of the world. Casualties of the culture. We will succumb if we are not armored. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. He says, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may withstand the schemes of the devil. Then he says this. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but of principalities, demons, devils, demonic forces in the unseen and heavenly realms most people most people they don't prepare for a fight until they're already in it most people most people never prepare for a fight because they don't ever plan on getting into one being honest but for the christian for the Jesus people, for the citizens of heaven, we don't have that luxury because we already know the second we come home to know Jesus, that anointing awfully looks an awful lot, look like a target on our back by hell, and we should know we're going to be getting in a fight. Problem is, we are a prepared people, but we're only prepared for what we see coming. But our flesh, that's not where our fight's against. Our fight isn't against what we can see, it's about what we can't see. It's not what we see coming at us, it's what we can't see coming at us. That's why we've got to put on the whole armor of God and nothing but the armor of God, so help us God. We have got to be armored up for that which we cannot see. Not just that, what we can see. The devil already let us know, God gave us the playbook, it's all there. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And guess what? He doesn't have to kill you or destroy you. He just has to get you to live armorless lives. He just has to get you not to put on the helmet of salvation one day, headshot. He just has to get you not to cover yourself in righteousness one day, body shot. He just has to get you not to lace up your shoes of peace, call you to walk in some areas you're not supposed to be in. I love this because Paul makes it really clear here. He's like, man, you and I, we are not fighting a fight that is against flesh and blood. So you keep 
picking fights and picking sides and you keep getting involved in all of this silly banter and arguments when it's not the people that are evil that are the actual issues, it's the evil forces that are surrounding them and using them and pulling on the strings like marionettes and you are hitting them back on Twitter and on Facebook and you're doing all this stupid stuff online when he's saying, get up in the spirit realm with me, start praying, start prophesying, start speaking to mountains to move for strongholds to break for demons to flee to fly into some pigs and start delivering some people because our fight isn't against flesh and blood it's against principalities and darkness that's why I'm not interested I'm not interested in praying prayers like God destroy my enemies is he about that life yes he's still the same God he's about that life but more than that I want to pray prayers that say God destroy my enemies that I can't see because they're the ones pulling the strings on the enemies I can see. I'm going to be honest. Yes, do I think there's governmental, cultural, institutionalized evil in the world right now? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Is there wickedness in men still? Absolutely. Yes, there is. But what gives God more of the glory? What gives God more of the glory? What gives Jesus the greatest prize? What gives him a better bride? Would it be killing my flesh enemies? People who make it more difficult to be Christians? People who are leading the lost even further astray down a path to hell? Would it be killing and taking them out that would actually benefit God, establish the kingdom of heaven, and actually save any lives? Or would it be us pulling down strongholds, God destroying enemies of which we cannot see, punching the devil in the face and taking back the keys. What are we doing? What fight are we fighting? What are we armored up in? What citizens are we? Whose citizens are we? What nation are we ambassadors of? Are we fighting the culture war? Or are we fighting heaven's war? Are we going to engage in a civil war? Or are we going to engage in Christ's holy war on sin, on death, on demons, on hell? Because there's one that redeems people, builds the bride, and establishes the church makes heaven fuller and hell smaller. And then there's another one that just continues to sling mud and wrestle with pigs and everybody leaves dirty and stinky and looking the same. Who are we? So then Paul follows that up with, take up the whole armor of God. But why did he use that language? Why did he do that? Because for a lot of us, we've taken up a lot of other things. And it's time for us to take off those other things and take up the armor of God. It's time to take off opinions and take up the armor of God. It's time to take off political divides and take on the armor of God. It's time to take off Twitter and put on the YouVersion Bible app. It's time to take off, come on. It's time to take off social media and start laying hands on division. It's time to take off Anything that is not of the armor of God. Because we want to be able to withstand. Paul says, take on the armor of God so that you can withstand in these evil days doing all that you can to stand firm. Friends, the days are evil and the days are dark. The days have gotten darker since the day God first spoke, let there be light. The days have gotten darker. Light came, then sin shortly afterwards, and it's been getting dimmer ever since because of it. It's going to get darker. It's going to stay darker. But the church is still called to shine brighter. But the shiny part about you is the armor of which you go into battle with. Worship team, you can, you can make your way up here. I love the armor of God. 
I love the armor of God because he's so, he's so clear. He's so clear. He says, listen, 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 listen. Being human is hard. Life is hard. But you're called to be a citizen of heaven and a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you're going to live as a citizen of heaven, you will either be belted by truth or beaten by lies. So the first thing that Paul says is you need to fasten up the belt of truth. Fasten up the belt of truth. Why? Because truth is the belt. Truth is the thing that holds the whole armor together because truth is what holds the foundations of the world together. It's the lies that put the chinks in our armor. It's the lies that put the soft and weak spots in our metal. It is the lies that don't allow the forge to go well in our armor. But it's the truth that purifies. It's the truth that hardens. It's the truth that fortifies. It's the truth that is foundational. Are we going to live belted in and fastened by the truth? Or are we going to live deceived and beaten by lies? Who do you want to be? Because the bottom line is the rest of the parts of the armor will serve you none. Will serve you nada. The rest of it won't do a single thing for you. Because if you don't believe God's truth, You'll never put on the full armor of God because you won't believe that you need it. See, it's God's truth, it's God's ways, it's God's words, it's God's wise. And if we don't believe God's truth as truth, it doesn't matter what you put on, you won't put it all on and you won't believe it if it's on anyways. Truth has to be truth. And we have to be fastened by it put together by it it has to hold the whole entire thing together and the truth is this God created everything God created man the devil schemed man believed a lie man forfeited everything God gave Jesus to rescue back everything And now man has the ability to have everything again. But you'll never put on the breastplate of righteousness as long as you're trying to live self-righteous lives. And you will live self-righteous lives if you believe the lie, my truth, their truth, your truth. It's not how it works. My truth is the most self-righteous anthem of our generation. But we're not called to be self-righteous people. We're called to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because the breastplate protects the most vital and essential organs of your life. Mainly your heart. Mainly your heart. See, righteousness, it covers and it protects and it keeps Righteousness, it covers that heart. And, and what does the heart do? Heart is the area of which the mouth flows out of. And what is in your mouth? It is in your tongue. And what is in your tongue? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who reap it will reap of its fruit. So out of your heart, life and death will flow. So what will your confession be? What will your prophecies be? What will you go into all the world and proclaim? What will you go and do? Something self-righteous, untrue, full of lies and full of doubt and full of holes? Or will you go into all the world telling the truth? We forfeited everything, God rescued it back, and now you can live again. come back from the brink of suicide you can come back from the brink of sexual immorality you can come back from the brink of divorce you can come back from all of your selfish behavior harmful behavior separating between you and God behavior because he made a way and he called you the righteousness of Christ too then he says the gospel of peace for shoes 
pastor, how do we walk in this world? I don't even recognize this world. How do we live in this day? I'll tell you, you live in peace. You live in peace. Well, how do I walk in peace? How do I live in peace? There's so much chaos. How do you live? How do you walk? How do you, how do you venture out in the world that is dark and crazy and confusing in peace? You do it by believing the truth. The truth is that the gospel brings you peace. The gospel will enable you to walk in peace. The fact that you were full of sin, dead in your sin, now you've been made alive in Christ. That gospel should bring you peace because that means you can walk through anything, including hell and back, and still get to heaven. Amen? Would you stand? Would you stand in peace? Would you stand in this moment? And would you understand that if you believe the truth of God, you can walk in absolute peace if you would just lace up the belt of truth. You will lace up the shoes of peace. And then what's he say? He says, put on the helmet of salvation twofold. I'll make this one quick. Helmet of salvation. This thing's amazing. It is both defensive and offensive. It's amazing. It's both practical and it signals. It says something and it keeps something. Salvation protects your head. It gives you the mind of Christ. It places on you. It covers the sides. And it gives you eye holes and a vantage point of which you now see the world through. But you won't put on the helmet of your salvation if you don't believe God's truth because it decides how you see. It decides how you see, it decides how you act, and it keeps your mind in Christ Jesus. As well as Paul bases all off centurion Roman armor. And they were known, if you know anything about Rome, they were known for their flair. So they had these big old feathers off the top. And what that did is it let every Persian, every enemy of Rome know we're Romans. This is whose we are. Your helmet of salvation, it lets all of hell know you belong to heaven. It lets every enemy know that's mine, she's mine, he's mine, they're mine, that's my kid, that's my son, that's my daughter. You can run the other way. You see their helmet? They belong to me, and I go to war with them. And then he says the shield of faith says the shield of faith. See, Romans, they had these shields that were made out of almost entirely leather. And what they would do, when they would go into war, they would drench that thing, soak that thing full of water. And Paul says, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery arrows of the devil. Why? First of all, you got to understand, once you're a citizen of heaven, you're no longer in that close proximity to hell. You're seated in heavenly places. He can take shots at you all day long, but if you got the shield of faith, he'll extinguish those arrows. And that's because the shield of faith should be so drenched in faith that the arrow could hit your shield but immediately go out. It goes out so entirely that there can't even be a mass casualty on the side of it. It hits your faith and it goes out. That's the type of faith you and I are called to have. Ones that extinguishes the fiery arrows of hell. And yeah, you best believe, faith is heavy. Faith is hard to carry. Faith is hard to walk in. Faith is difficult. But if you will pick up the shield of faith, if you will pick that up and carry it with you, it will not only protect you, but it will extinguish every fiery devil arrow coming at you. Faith might be heavy, but it's always worth it, amen? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The worship team is going to begin singing in just a minute. And I want to encourage you to sing. If you got to leave, you got to go, totally fine. We love you. We'll see you next week. We're going to sing a song. And it's one of proclaiming the kingdom of which we belong to. You see, when you enlist in this kingdom, when you become a citizen, God gives you a sword and he intends for you to use it.
See, most Christians believe Christianity is passive. When Jesus himself, in every single one of the Gospels, he says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by storm. Take it by force. We're not passive, we're just forgiving. There's a difference. Problem is, nobody ever trained us how to use our swords, but most people put their sword on the wall and use Jesus like a conversation piece. Jesus saying, I didn't give you a sword to look at, I gave you a sword to swing. I gave you a direction in which to swing it in. I gave you an enemy in which to swing it at. You got a mission for that sword. That sword is to not only protect you and take ground, but deliver people from the hands of the enemy. That sword is the Holy Spirit. That sword is the Word of God. That sword is your equipping. It is able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It can get into the smallest of everything and separate it for the glory of God. We're going to sing this. We're going to sing this. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to sing this song. And we're going to proclaim this to God because we are anointed. We are armored. And like Paul in chains, we are ambassadors in the region of which we've been sent to. And we're going to make this our anthem. We're going to put the armor on. We're going to take up the anointing on our lives. And we are going to live an anointed, armored, ambassador life. Amen. Let us worship. Call sick. Yours. This is our war cry. This is our battle cry. This is our nation's pledge of allegiance. This is what we belong to. This is our song as the day is long. We are citizens of this nation. We're singing. Come on, sing.